Okay, let's get started. It's 12 o'clock. Um, good afternoon, everybody. I'm Kyra Mann, CEO of MitoAction, and we thank you all for joining us for today's presentation, Ultragenics LC-FAOD Odyssey Study from Patient Experience to Patient Empowerment. Today's presentation will be recorded and available on the MitoAction website in the coming days. We encourage you to ask questions throughout the presentation using the Q&A feature at the bottom of your screen. If you're calling in via phone, feel free to submit your questions to us via email to info at mitoaction.org and we'll do our best to get through as many questions as possible at the end of the presentation. If you're following along via phone, you can also access the presentation slides at www.mitoaction.org slash resources slash odyssey. So joining us today is Kristen Voorhees, Associate Director of Patient Advocacy with Ultragenics Pharmaceutical and Eliza Kruger, Director of Global Health Economics and Outcomes Research. We're excited to learn more about this initiative for the LCFAOD community and how patients can become actively involved. Ladies, take it away. Thank you very much, Kyra, um, and thank you, Mutt Action, for the opportunity to present and the invitation. We're very excited. So as Kyra mentioned, my name is Kristen Voorhees, and I'm an Associate Director of Patient Advocacy at Ultragenics, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Eliza, and we're going to be sharing with you the positive impact that people living with LCFAOD have had on our company's research plans. And so just a little bit of background, I've been with Ultragenics for the past three and a half years, and I've been working on the LCFAOD program since day one of, uh, of joining the company. And so it's really been a privilege to help represent the voice of the LCFAOD community inside the four walls of Ultragenics and really work alongside our Ultragenics teams and colleagues like Eliza to help improve the lives of the community. Eliza? Yep. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, everyone. Eliza Kruger, I'm a director at Ultragenics in the Global Health Economics and Outcomes Research Team. Uh, so that's a bit of a long acronym. In short, what we do is we quantify the impact of what it means to live with a rare disease. And today we'll be sharing an example of, of how we're doing this. It also includes working really closely with our colleagues, including Kristen, to really identify the needs uh, of our, our disease areas and what the community research needs are. Pass it back to you, Kristen. Thank you. Um, you can advance to the next slide, please. So, so we have three main goals today. The first is if you're not already familiar, we want to be able to introduce you to Ultragenics and our commitment to the LCFAOD community. Um, LCFAOD stands for Long Chain Fatty Acid Oxidation Disorders, for those of you who may not know. The second is we're excited to explain how people living with LCFAOD and their families are directly helping to advance research to Ultragenics and how you're actually informing our decision making on a, on a regular basis. And then I'm going to be handing it over to Eliza, who's going to share an overview of the LCFAOD Odyssey study, including some key uh, details about the program, as well as she's going to walk you through a live uh, demo. So you're going to learn how you can enroll and what the technology looks like and what an actual visual depiction of your medical history could look like. And then towards the end, we, we've saved some time for Q&A and, um, and Kyra is going to walk us through a dialogue. Um, next slide, please. Um, so for those of you who may not be familiar, uh, familiar Ultragenics is a biopharmaceutical company committed to bringing to patients novel products for the treatment of rare and ultra-rare diseases. And so this includes LCFAOD, and we've actually been studying LCFAOD since 2013, so quite a while. We are a global company, and our headquarters are in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is where Eliza and I are both dialing in from today. Separate places, our homes, we're not in the office. Uh, but we are joined with colleagues here, as well as across the United States. We have an office in Massachusetts. We have a strong presence in Canada. And then we have global offices in Europe and Latin America as well. The picture here on the right was taken in 2018. And, and so we've grown quite a bit. My guess is we were probably somewhere around six or 700 people at that point. And much more recently, as of today, we have more than 900 employees. Um, and so we were founded by um, a physician researcher, Dr. Emil Kakis, 
and Emil began his, his, his work developing a medicine for a rare disease called MPS-1. And he did that in partnership with a patient advocacy organization called the Ryan Foundation. And I bring that up because I think it's really important for the community to understand that our leadership and our culture really has a, a patient-focused vision. And this comes directly from the top. And if you want to learn more about AMOL and, ultra, and Ultragenics as a whole, um, uh, Mito Action recorded a podcast with him a few weeks ago, so you could check that out for more detail. Next slide, please. So who is the patient advocacy and patient engagement team at Ultragenics, and what do we do? So our purpose, our, our, our really singular purpose as we see it, is to advance global rare disease advocacy through inclusive patient engagement and partnership. And we have um, a global team. We have individuals across uh, North America, as well as colleagues in Europe and Latin America. And we look to achieve the goals through three, three, uh, three ways. The first is we recognize that people living with rare diseases are the experts. And so our goal is, is to learn from you and then to partner with organizations like MitoAction to understand what's important. Um, so the first is we build long-term uh, relationships. We really want to advance shared goals with patient organizations. And I want to call out MitoAction for that because we've been working together for a number of years and, and we wouldn't be able to have a conversation uh, today without that, that partnership. So second is we convene forums to understand the experiences of patients and families and what's most important to them. So what's important to you should also be important to us. And then it's important to bring together a diverse group of individuals to understand all aspects of the community. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I think that's important for the community to understand because in rare diseases, that can be very heterogeneous and many different symptoms and presentations and we need to understand uh, the full range. So once we have that information from the community, we actually bring it internally and we incorporate it directly into our programs and our company decision-making. And so that, that includes collaborating with cross-functional colleagues like Eliza here on the phone, um, as well as many others. And um, we've been doing this since Amol founded the organization in 2010, but we're at a point now where we're really evolving and uh, the process. And so we're, we're excited to be developing a new framework for how we more consistently um, and systematically incorporate the patient voice at all stages of development. We also recognize that when we're doing a lot of listening with the community, they want to know, well, what have we done with the information? And so we have a, um, a commitment to transparently share with the community the impact of their input and the decisions that we've made based on what's important to you. And third, definitely not, not last or least, but uh, we look to address the, the unmet needs of rare disease communities. And so we do that in a number of ways. That can include supporting the work of organizations. That can include uh, developing programs and education to, to directly meet the needs of the community. In LCFAOG, for example, we've been developing education based specifically on feedback from, um, uh, from the community and have involved them in that process. And then third is we provide information um, for, for all uh, rare disease communities at ultrarareadvocacy.com as well as on, on Facebook. So you can check us out there if you haven't already. Next slide, please. So at Ultragenics, we really recognize that we're just one of many different stakeholders in the broader rare disease ecosystem. And that's why our commitment to advancing LCFAOD research includes a few things. Number one, we engage directly with, with patients and your families to actually design new studies and, and research plans. So we view you as our partner. And second is we, su we support the research interests of scientists and clinicians who are also focused on improving the understanding of LCFAOD and improving how it's managed or treated. And so we've been, been studying LCFAOD since 2013. And a couple of things to, to call out is we, we really looked to, to foster partnerships across many different areas to elevate the patient voice. I'll be talking more about that in a minute. We intentionally seek to understand the unmet needs and how we can help to address them. And then we look to empower uh, patients to successfully navigate the healthcare system. What we've heard is that living with a rare chronic condition like LCFAOD is, is incredibly difficult when, when navigating such a complex healthcare uh, system. And so we really want to develop education to make that easier. 
And then what we're going to be talking about today is how we've developed research programs based directly on your insights and what's important um, to you. So how do we learn from people living with LCFAOD? Eliza, you can go to the next slide. Thanks. So we meet with patients and families primarily right now in two different forms. The first is through our LCFAOD Patient Leadership Council, as well as through advisory boards. And so what I want to call out here is that we do this really for two reasons. One is the insights help us to understand what's important to people living with LCFAOD. And second is we really want to have open, honest, transparent dialogues that help us determine appropriate ways to support the community. So with the PLC, for example, this has been around since 2017. It includes seven individuals from the U.S. and Canada, and it's actually grown from, from four to seven individuals. And we meet about four times a year. Advisory boards are more um, uh, ad hoc uh, scenarios where, where we, we meet for about a day. And we've held five advisory boards between 2015 and, and, and the present. And so between these two um, forums, we really generate insights that help to inform our company strategy, our decision-making, our plans to make sure that you're at the center of what we do. Next slide, please. So now turning to the LCFAOD Odyssey study, and before I hand it over to Eliza, what we wanted to do is help you understand that we've actually designed the study to address challenges and research questions raised directly by you, by, by people living with LCFAOD. So the first is that the community has reported it's really quite difficult and cumbersome to navigate the system. You have multiple specialists, pediatricians, geneticists, dietitians, cardiologists, neurologists, you know much better than we do. It's a lot. And so you have a lot of medical um, records and you've really been looking for a solution. Second is people have reported really wanting to understand how the disease evolves or may pro progress over time. You have a lot of unknowns ahead of you and we want to be able to help you navigate that. Third is we've learned that LCFAOD significantly impacts a person's life. And people have been, have been asking to better understand that impact and how it's actually affecting their life. That's where the, the, the health economics piece comes in that Eliza spoke about. And then fourth is we, we know that most people living with an LCFAOD refer to themselves as having the LCAT or LCHAT or TFP. And so people are really interested in understanding how they're similar and different um, across these six different types. So Eliza is now going to be walking you through what the Odyssey study is. And again, we wanted to give you um, some background to help you understand how the past four or five years of learning from you have actually turned into a new study. So thank you. And Eliza, the floor is yours. Thanks so much, Kristen, for that wonderful introduction. Uh, taking it over from here. So I will be walking you through the new study that Kristen mentioned, the LCFAD Odyssey study, and how it's really an opportunity for patients and parents of, of patients to help advance LCFAD research. So the agenda for uh, my part of the presentation today, uh, we'll go through a brief study overview. And then the fun part, in my opinion, uh, we'll do a live demo of how to sign up and the Picnic Health timeline. And then finally, we'll hand it back over to Kira for uh, the Q&A. So what is the LCFD Odyssey study? So this is a central IRB approved research study from Ultragenics in partnership with Picnic Health, a digital health company. So before I go too far, IRB, this is an institutional review board. So under FDA regulation, an IRB is an appropriately constituted group that has been formally designated to review and monitor biomedical research involving patients. Boiling it down, they're an independent uh, board that really makes sure that the research is in the best interest of patients and that it's ethically done. So we wanted to make sure that our study had that right from the outset. So the study, we're looking to centralize medical records for patients and to create this anonymized data set for researchers to better understand LCFAD and address the research questions that Kristen highlighted earlier. So this study is currently open. We're enrolling both adults and children who are living with LCFAD in the US. And it also gives a benefit to patients and caregivers to be able to help them better manage their care. Uh, so just highlighting this, we've heard in our previous 
uh, boards and discussions with patients that it really is complex and hard to manage. We've heard from patients that they really have a binder full of medical records that they have to maintain for themselves and carry from one specialist to another. So this is one of the reasons that we established the studies that we can help patients really centralize medical records online in one place. So really helping you own your own medical records. So why are we doing this? So from the community perspective, we really want to look out for, to better understand LCFAD progression, how it's managed in the real world, and the effectiveness of existing treatments, as well as addressing the other research questions that Kristen um, highlighted earlier, particularly looking at the differences in experience between the different types. As I said, for patients, the, the benefit is having all your medical records in one place. And it's not just what you'll see on EMR, you get all the details, including medical notes, scans, labs. I'll show you that uh, a little bit later on, exactly what that will look like. So for physicians and researchers, we will use this data to construct an anonymous, comprehensive data set that, be, that can be used by academic researchers. And really this is going to be the first and largest of its kind uh, with at least seven years worth of uh, retrospective data. So we're really excited for this from um, the, the research perspective. And for ultragenics, it, it's really helping us better understand LCFAD progression and disease management, use and effectiveness in treatments, and really further our commitment that Kristen highlighted really has been since 2013 to advancing LCFAD research. So how does this work? So we have a patient living with LCFAD or a caregiver of patient. So what they do is they go online uh, and they authorize Picnic Health to collect their medical records on their behalf. They really, uh, Picnic Health will act as a proxy to do that. So they do all the work for you. You'll sign this IRB approved research consent form to do that. And then you list your healthcare provider as an associated facilities. And that's everything primary care, dietitian, geneticist, ER visits, cardiologists, or the other uh, pediatrician that you might have. And this is for at least seven years worth of data, but uh, Picnic Health has been able to uh, extract data from even further decades ago. So if you remember it, list it. So what happens next? Picnic Health takes this information and acts as your proxy to request those medical records from all the providers. They then transform this into the Picnic Health timeline to help you better manage your care. Uh, so this really is a great tool. And, and I will say that I have a Picnic Health timeline and find it useful for myself um, and to really see all your, your medical care in one place, um, instead of having to go to separate EMR systems or print or ask for information, particularly when you look at that ret retrospective aspect. So then what they do is they extract this data and create a de-identified data set. So what this means is all personal uh, health information, identifying information is stripped and just the basic data is extracted. And so this is, this is used to create this data set um, that researchers receive, a completely de-identified research-ready data set to get insights from. Um, so this data set can then be utilized to advance our understanding of LCFAD and answer key research questions. I'll also highlight that this is not something that is just ultragenics. It is available to academic researchers as well to access, request access and, and get the data so that we can really further research, not just for our company, but for uh, the community. So I mentioned earlier what the Picnic Health timeline is. I won't go into too much detail because we'll actually be um, going through a demo of this, but it's really all your medical records in one place. You can share them with your family or your physicians. Uh, you can view uh, any images through the, the FDA approved and HIPAA compliant image viewer. That you can tra track your labs longitudinally. And I think that's uh, something that's pretty neat. Um, particularly if you want to see uh, any changes and whether it's out of the, the normal range. And you can also download the original source records. Um, so uh, we'll take another closer look for that. But one thing to highlight is that it doesn't matter what your records, it could be scribbled on a piece of paper, it could be a CD, it could be a flop, floppy disk, it doesn't matter. Picnic Health will collect them and they'll do the work to extract the information into this timeline for you to see and view. 
So how does Picnic Health protect and anonymize your patient data? We know this is super important to you as it is to myself and anyone with their private health information. So Picnic Health is HIPAA compliant. They follow the highest standards set by law. They have end-to-end -end encryption for, uh, for the data. And so this is, uh, we've talked to them, it is banking grade, it is military grade. Um, it's not a basic off the shelf, you know, new company that have been around for uh, since 2010, really high end encryption. So the data it's under your control. Personal information is never shared without explicit permission. And uh, you can also choose, if you choose not to continue to participate in the study, you can choose at any time to delete your information and exit. This is up to you. And that's one of the purposes of the study to really let you own your own medical records and your own journey. And so if there are any questions, you can reach out to Picnic Health. There's a, um, an email address particularly for the study, F-A-O-D, study, one word, at picnichealth.com, and they can address any questions you have. So before we get into the demo, this is just the key study details if you're considering joining. Um, so anyone who with any type of LCFAD who live in the US, including caregivers and children are eligible for this study. So what we're asking of you to do, you can go visit the study website uh, for more information. So that's picnichealth.com uh, backslash LCFAD. So all the study information, the consent, some FAQs, that's all on the site. Um, so that you can be fully informed about your decision if you choose to participate. So what will you get for this study? You'll get access to all your medical records through the timeline that I shared earlier. Uh, there is, we do compensate for your time to participate in this study. Uh, we know your time is valuable. So it's $25 for enrolling and as well as $25 for um, each brief survey that takes about 10 minutes. Um, and I'll speak a little bit more about that shortly as well. And so the third thing we want to highlight, this is observational study. Participating will not affect your ability to, to participate in any other uh, clinical trials or studies. Um, so we just wanted to highlight that as well. And so finally, what will the community get? Uh, so we'll have researchers will access to this anonymized real world data set um, to really help future research. And with that, we will uh, move to the demo. So hopefully no technical issues here. Kristen, can you see my screen? Great. Yeah. All right. Sorry. I, I, I was on mute. You're all good. <laughs> Great. So this is the, the website that we have here. Um, so as I said before, you can see all the information on the study, information about who can join, um, overview of, of what you'll get, uh, really detailed information about the study including, as I said before, this FAQ. So frequently asked questions um, available here. So you can, um, a lot of your questions can be uh, addressed as well. You can also reach out um, right down the bottom to Picnic Health if you have any questions that, that are not addressed in this study website. Excuse me. Uh, all right, so let's say you reviewed this and you think, you know, maybe I'm interested in, in learning more. Uh, you can click on join free which will take you to this page uh, and you can enter your email address to, to sign up. It'll then ask you to verify your email address. So here's what I prepared earlier. Uh, so you can then obviously choose your password. I'll, I'll choose a password later. So you will indicate then who you're signing up for. So in this case, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna sign up for my child with FAOD. What is my child's name? Let's call him Bebe, Bebe Smith. Uh, you can also, uh, you'll have to sign up each time separately if you have multiple children that you would like to sign up. Uh, so uh, at this stage, we'll just join, uh, enroll Bebe. Here we go. Bebe's birth date. Um, let's say it's the first, first 2010. And the last four digits of Bebe's SS, uh, social security number. So one thing to highlight about this, this is only asked to verify uh, Bebe's identity. So uh, it's not used or shared for any other reason. Uh, we just, uh, this will just be used by Picnic Health to 
uh, demonstrate the identity when they collect re research records. Really focusing on getting the least amount of information to, to get that so that no more information like address or insurance is collected because they don't need it. So let's continue. Uh, let's see, we'll select gender. Uh, a little bit more information about the race. You can prefer not to save if, if you would like. Let's skip through this. So what is your name? My name is Mummy Smith. Um, you can also put a phone number here and this will again only be used to contact you if there's questions about collecting your medical records. So a mummy lives in San Francisco and she has a phone number. So the next step we get to is the consent. Uh, so one thing to highlight when you get to the consent, um, please read each of them in full. They're all written in plain language so that they're accessible to anyone who would like to participate. Um, we're not trying, there's no try to catch you out here. It's really written clearly. The expectations of the, of the study, what we're asking from you and about your data. Uh, so if you do have any questions about the consent or the study in general, as I said earlier, you can email Picnic Health at faodstudy at picnichealth.com and they can address any questions that you might have. So uh, you can open them and review the, the consent, each one highlighting the specific expectations. And if you choose to participate in the study, um, you will consent. Do you have to create a, a signature? Oh, very nice. Um, this should uh, try and look a little bit like your actual signature. Unfortunately, that is a little bit like my actual signature, um, but that may be used to match to your records. So um, just something to highlight. So one other thing to highlight is that if you are enrolling for a child age seven to 17, there is additional assent for minors. So the difference between consent, consent is for adults, uh, but assent is really uh, written for a child to say, hey, yes, I want to participate. It's, it's very uh, short um, and just, just so that they're additionally assenting to participate in the study. Um, and this was uh, you know, the recommendation in a partnership with the IRB. So Bebby is assenting to participate and adding their signature. Lovely. And here we go. So this is uh, the meat and potatoes of enrolling, adding your providers. So here they list the, the common providers that you might want to enter. This isn't all of them. This is kind of just to prompt you to think about what, what they might be. So one thing to highlight, if you forget, you don't remember, this incident comes up, no worries. You can add at any time new providers from the Picnic Health timeline. Um, so today I'm gonna to add Bebe's pediatrician. Uh, so you can list the facility name, we'll do Mayo Clinic. It could be in San Francisco. And the provider's name, oh, good one, Dr. Jane Doe. Uh, so really, again, limited data is needed because Picnic Health will act and ask for them any records that they might have. You can also add multiple uh, providers at, at the same facility. Um, it's really quite easy to do if you have other ones. So you can, you can do that. Today, we'll just add Dr. Doe. Uh, we can move on. So let's see. Finally, the last step of enrolling is the survey. So Kristen highlighted before about the research questions and where the study came from. One of the basis of the, the survey that we have here was from the burden of disease survey. And that really was from our, our patients, the patient community saying that, you know, really the impact of FAOD is, is not just hospitalization, it's day to day, it's beyond that. It's the impact on physical activity, it's fatigue, it's changing jobs or absenteeism. So we developed the survey, which was then reviewed by patients. Uh, and again, to date, we had 51 unique respondents for that. 
Um, and it is the largest survey that we've done. We're, we've published a couple of abstracts of that as well. So that was the basis for the survey that we did in um, as part of the LCFAD Odyssey study to really capture, uh, capture that experience beyond the hospitalization. So we won't go through it all today, but just giving you a little bit of oversight, uh, what we'll ask for, uh, really looking for your type, uh, your treatment, your management, any missed work or school, uh, quality of life, symptoms you experience, the impact of physical activity. Um, two things that we heard when we reviewed this with patients is that there really is an impact on being able to socialize and needing additional um, help with that, as well as uh, really needing to rest and recuperate uh, follow because of the disease. Uh, so that's all included here as well. So we can get that really comprehensive look at, um, at the disease. So let's say, let's say you complete this survey, fast forward uh, four weeks. Let's take a look at a sample timeline. Here we go. Great, so this is an anonymized patient's timeline so that we can take a look at it. So you'll see here that we have scans. So it's in a chronological order with each visit, um, a different item on, on the timeline. So with scans, you can open them and you'll see exactly what the physician sees, um, actually the actual brain scans and all the information they have. So you can see labs over time. And one thing that I thought um, was really neat is that you can, you can click on them and see how they've changed over time. You can also see the normal range and the abnormal range. So you can really track that experience um, over, over time. Then you have office visits here. And you can see here all the information. This is exactly the, what the doctors note. This is not typically in EMR, you might just see high level information. But this extracts all the, the doctor notes. It includes assessments and vital signs. So you can see that over time as well. And you can also download the original PDF information from there. So this is blurry because it's anonymized, but this really shows that you get all your medical records in, in one place um, online. So one other thing that's, that's really neat is that you, can, you own your data, so you can choose to share it with whom you like. So let's say you want to share with a physician. These are the people that you've already shared with. So here. So it's a really secure way to share. So I want to share with Dr. Jane Doe. Um, and you can email them or copy the link. Um, and you can, there's security options for this. Um, so you, uh, to make sure that they have information to, to prove their identity, that they know who you are to access this. If you do share access, they get to see what you see the entire journey. So we know that this is really helpful for our patients to share with, with their specialists. Um, it's also helpful to avoid like, oh, did I get that test? Did I get that lab? When was it? It, it can also help you avoid additional unnecessary testing. And this is really uh, a secure way, as I said, military grade encryption to, to make sure that it, your data is secure. Let's say you change physicians or you don't want them to have access at any time you can you can change that um, in the share tab. Uh, I also mentioned earlier, let's say you're like, oh, I forgot a doctor, you can add them at any time or if you see a new doctor, you can add that through the care team list. Uh, so I think that's everything that we wanted to cover. This is procedure information as well is also available hospitalizations, office visit, all in chronological order. Um, so with that, that's the end of our demo for the timeline. Let's pivot back to the presentation. So as I said, we uh, walked through the timeline as well. And that sample timeline is available if you want to explore and see uh, a little bit more about how the, the, what the picnic time, health timeline looks like. So let's circle back. How can you participate in or help with data generating for the LCFAD Odyssey? So first, right at the beginning, 
check out the website, picnichealth.com backslash LCFAOD. That has all the information on the study and a lot of those key FAQs as well. The second, you can share information about the LCFAD Odyssey within your communities. So feel free to share the study website or information that you learn with the communities if you choose to, if you're interested and excited or enjoy the timeline. We really do um, encourage that. And finally, if you do have any questions, please feel free to reach out. So FAD study at picnichealth.com um, with any questions you have about the consent, about participating, privacy of your, uh, of your data, using the timeline, um, they're really there to help, to help. So we really do encourage you to reach out if you do have any questions. So lastly, we wanted to finish up with a bit of a status update. So here we actually have 26 patients and caregivers now um, with LCFAD who have enrolled since the study launched in, in 2020. So we're really excited um, about that. So we do have a preliminary results on those 13 patients. So really to demonstrate the depth of this data, all the, the, the 13 patients, they had at least seven and a half years worth of data um, and the records were retrieved really quickly. So four weeks. Um, one patient had uh, over 12 years worth of data. So being able to get that longitudinal look back um, has been really fantastic. So coming soon, we wanted to highlight, we will be having a community representative program. So individuals with LCFAD who are enrolled will be invited to share their experience with LCFAD, Odyssey and Picnic Health. So just letting you know that 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 will be coming down the pike as well. And lastly, we, we really wanted to highlight that research will be shared with participants. So once we've analyzed this anonymized and aggregated data, published finding, we'll be definitely be sharing those with those who sign up. And, and I think this is an opportunity as well to share um, with patients what we've seen so far. Um, and particularly letting you know that our priority research questions are your priority research questions, particularly looking at the impact beyond hospitalization. So on that, uh, are there any questions? There we go. Hi, thank you so much. We appreciate that, Eliza. So I do have a, a couple of questions to ask about the, um, the Picnic Health platform. So if a patient is participating in the study and then they decide at some point they don't want to continue in the study, what happens with that data? Do they still have access to their medical records? Is the are the records continued to be collected or what happens at that point? So if, if a person chooses not to participate anymore, they can delete their, their data, uh, but access to, to the timeline and prospective collection of records uh, is a benefit uh, associated with participating in the study. So they won't have continued access and updating of their data in the platform if they choose not to not to participate. Great, great. So the next question that came in, if you have multiple children whose records you're managing within the Picnic Health System, you have obviously you have to create a separate, you know, you have to do each child's entry separate. But as a parent, do I then have multiple logins? or does it pull together all of the children that I'm managing within the same access? I guess is the best way to say that. Huh, that's a really interesting question. Um, I will have to come back to you on that. Um, I, I haven't come across that. I, I believe it would be separate timelines, uh, but it should be able to have them separate timelines within the same uh, signing up. So you wouldn't have to say, for example, list mummy's details again and again. Um, but I, I'll have to get back to you on that, um, exactly how that works. Okay, perfect. Good. Next question. If, so once you're enrolled in the, in the program, you've entered all your doctor's information, does the system automatically update if you have new 
um, new testing done or new appointments? Or do you have to notify Picnic Health when you go in for a new visit? No, no need to notify. So there, there may be a lag with collecting those records. Um, as, as we said, we got most of those records in, in about four weeks. Um, but they will be, be added to your timeline and you will get a notice like these new records have been, have been added. Uh, so yes, there's, there's no need for any additional action on their behalf. If, if you do have a new provider, however, you can go in and add them at any time and then, uh, then Picnic Health would act on your behalf to collect those records and put them in the timeline. Okay, perfect. And you mentioned that it's for pediatric and adult patients, but is there a minimum age requirement for a patient to participate? No, absolutely not. Patients of, of any ages. Uh, we just have the additional assent for, for patients age 7 to 17, but for children uh, younger than that, then the caregiver can, can enroll them to uh, to have access to, to the data and the picnic health timeline. We would say like at any age that it's, you know, being able to see the, the progression experience and diagnosis over time is incredibly valuable from the, from the research perspective. So um, we would encourage uh, any, any patients to enroll, because it's, especially when we're looking at differences in types uh, and experience, um, the more data we have, the more insight that we'll be able to get. Right. Um, another question. Eliza, that can I? Go ahead, oh, Chris. Sorry, Kyra. Um, can I just add one um, quick thing just to expand on something that Eliza said because it's really important. So um, what we also hear from the community is that there may be adults who have not been diagnosed with LCFAOD until much later in life. So maybe they weren't um, born. Uh, maybe they were born before newborn screening came to be, for example. And so um, something that we have been talking about is could information learned from the Odyssey study with adult patients help us to understand the diagnostic patterns? So then we would be able to develop maybe uh, resources or tools or education to support more timely and accurate diagnoses. So there is also I mean, as Eliza mentioned, it's also about progressively seeing how things happen over time. But if there are people who maybe say 40 or 50 years old, um, we're also able to look backwards um, retrospectively and, and really understand patterns. So I just wanted to highlight the retrospective piece and the perspective because for research purposes, that's also um, really important. Yeah. Thank you for letting Especially, me uh, jump in. That's looking at those. Yeah, those patterns, potentially misdiagnoses, experiences of pain or hospitalization where they didn't quite get it. We could, to Kristen's point, develop education to for healthcare providers to say, hey, if your patients are experiencing this, consider testing. So um, yeah. I think that's a really great point, Kristen, as well, that um, that's incredibly valuable from, from the research perspective and ultimately for our understanding for the community as well. Yeah, and that, that leads to my next question. And I wanna ask this from a very high level. So let me preface the question by saying that, is that I want, I want um, if you could share a little bit about, right, so we've got all of this data, all of these records that are going into this system, right? And obviously test results have data points. Um, medical visits have notes. Can you talk a little bit about like how that all comes together to provide a, a view of the odyssey of, of having LCFAOD? Like how, how is that all translated into something meaningful for the clinical community to use? That is a really great question. So I, I think one thing that, that I perhaps should have highlighted earlier, that timeline perspective, that's mm -hmm. just for the patient. We don't see that information. That is for, for you to see your full, uh, full data and experience. So what Picnic Health does, and they're, they're a tech, digital technology company. Uh, so they use AI and natural language processing, machine learning, and all those technical terms that we become very familiar with in San Francisco to extract the data out of that. So not just lab results, but your diet, 
diagnoses or misdiagnoses as it might be, uh, your visits, how long were the visits, who did, who did you see, uh, and you know, lab results or vital signs. So that data is extracted using all this technology into, into a data set. So it's an Excel spread with, with anonymized data um, that's, that's mapped, that's extracted from the patient. So uh, when I say it's, it's incredibly powerful, I, I mentioned earlier that we have at least seven and a half years of data. Seven and a half years, that's thousands of pieces of data points for each patient. So really, really enabling us to have a deep understanding and a lot of data to, to really see what that experience and journey was. And so that's just from the 13 patients that we've seen. As we get more patients with different types and ages, um, that will be uh, exponentially uh, increased. And you, know, you can see that I'm, I'm very excited about this because I'm a bit of a data analysis nerd. And it's, it's really something that we haven't seen before. And the insights that we, that we can get from this um, is, is really exciting. Um, particularly when, when we look at those questions that, that require a lot of data, a lot of retrospective data to be able to see progression over time. So we know that's incredibly important and difference between types as well. So um, yeah, I think, I, I hope that answers your, your question. No, it does. <laughs> Yeah. It does, and, I, and it also provides an opportunity to take that anecdotal data, right, where a patient comes into the office and shares with a physician, oh, I had this, this symptom and this has been going on. Well, now you've turned that into a data point that you can compare to other patients. And now that becomes something really meaningful to help understand what's going on with the disease. Um, yeah. And two, I, I want the community and the patients listening to really understand what an incredible opportunity participating in a study like this is and what a tremendous impact that you can have just by allowing your records to be shared. So not only are you having access and organized your, your records and you don't have these big binders that a lot of our patients are carrying around and trying to keep things organized, it gives all of that to you, but it also lets you participate in a truly meaningful study for the entire community. Um, and so it's just a really great way to get involved in research and developing therapies for our patient community. Yeah, thank you. I, I think that, and Eliza could speak to this as well. Um, you know, I think many people living with a rare chronic condition or maybe even a common chronic condition think that research only happens in clinics or only happens in the context of an investigational clinical trial, right, where maybe a new treatment is, is being uh, studied. And there's so much benefit and, um, and just a lot of excitement around real world evidence, which Eliza could share uh, more about, but it's about understanding that researchers and scientists and clinicians can learn a lot just by happening, or sorry, just by learning what's happening either outside of the office, which is what the survey uh, Eliza mentioned is about, but also by piecing together details between visits, what we've heard from families over and over again is that they feel that they're really trying to coordinate a lot of conversations and communication between different specialists, often between different institutions, for example. And this can also allow kind of an overview, as you put it, Kyra, about the burden or the impact of what it means to live with a condition like this. So all of that can also be researched just as you can be a research participant in, in a clinical uh, trial. So I just wanted to point that, yeah. that out too, because I thought that um, it was just important um, for the context. Right, and also having the ability to share these records with anyone on your care team, it helps to facilitate a coordinated care experience too, which we know exactly that, that families in a rare disease environment really need because you're all often seeing multiple physicians and you want to make sure that everybody's looking at the same information so they're making the best decisions they can. So that, that's also a huge benefit. So I love that. Um, can you explain for those who aren't familiar with the medical data world, when we say that the, that the data is de-identified, what does that mean? 
Yeah, that's that's a great question. So de-identified means stripped of any information that could potentially be used to identify you as a person. So uh, what that means is your your birthday, your address, your um, your name, or uh, any other addresses or where you work or your insurance. All that information is is taken out so that the information can't be used to personally identify you. Um, and it's really a, a strict process that is used that's HIPAA compliant to, to make sure that there are, is no identifying information, that it's really just the, the, the data point is extracted, not personal information. Perfect, thank you for sharing that. So another question just came in and the question asks, if I'm on a clinical trial, will that data be shown on my timeline and provided to researchers? So that is a really great question. And the answer is, it depends. Uh, so it, it depends uh, based on how the data is collected in the, in the clinical trial. Uh, what we can also do is if that's a concern for you, the researchers, we, we can make sure that that's shown to you in your personal timeline, but it's not extracted as part of the identifying process. So um, if you personally uh, are participating and would like that not to be shown or extracted, I would encourage you to email FAOD, um, FAOD study at pickinghealth.com. They can make sure that that's, that's done because we don't want to uh, extract that information if it's, um, if it's private and, and related to a clinical trial. Perfect, thank you for that. That was a really good question. Um, can you tell me, so I know like for, for the patient community, the thought of entering something new can be overwhelming, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so thinking about, you know, getting all of my re medical records, like just that in itself, I think creates a level of anxiety for patients because <laughs> they're making themselves having to pick up phone calls and coordinate. What do you say to, to the patients in the community about, you know, what this process is going to be to ease that anxiety and to really help them to make that decision that, you know, to, to go and log in and get started? <laughs> Well, first I would say is that that is completely, you know, there's so much to, that, that comes with managing a rare disease that we can see that like sometimes it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's, it's too much. So we completely recognize that that is, uh, that is a concern you may have. So there's a few ways we try to minimize it. In, enrolling in the study takes about 10 minutes um, and it's really just, just listing your the providers that that you have and that basic information that we walk through. Um, you don't have to do that all at once if that's if that's too much or if you forget any healthcare providers or you only are like oh I really just want to do these couple that I've experienced at this time and I'll come back to it. That's okay. There's no there's no pressure to participate or do everything at once. Um, we understand there's so much going on, uh, particularly during COVID that these things can be, these things can be overwhelming. Uh, we also recognize that your time and your participation in research is incredibly valuable. And that's, that's why we compensate you for it. So as I mentioned, it's a, it's a $25 visa card to enroll, to list your providers. And then each time you, uh, you complete the PRO, which is, uh, five times during the, the first year, it'll also be an additional $25 for doing that. And, and that takes about 10 minutes each time. So really making sure that we recognize your time's valuable, uh, your contribution to research is valuable. Um, and we're, we're there for you. If you have questions, as, I, as I've said, reach out to the team and, and they can help you um, enroll if, if, it, if it is feeling overwhelming or you do have questions. So. Um, I think that's that's really what we wanted to share that we appreciate uh, your 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 time and contribution to research. We think it's really important and valuable. You use the acronym PRO. Can you explain what that? Oh, <laughs> sorry, we use so many acronyms in ultragenics. I forget PRO, patient reported outcomes. So that's that's another word for the survey. So. 
instead of just looking at your medical data, what are your experience? So the patient reported, what symptoms are you experiencing? How many days did you miss from school or work? What, dis- what was the impact of your disease on, on your work choices or your schooling choices? Um, what is your quality of life impact on physical activity? All those are patient reported outcomes as opposed to a physician, as opposed from your medical records. Um, and that's really another word for, for the survey. Wonderful. Hey, Kyra. Yes. Could I um, just chime in with one thing just to expand on, um, on something that Eliza mentioned as a benefit or really what's involved? So to go back to one of the, the research questions or interest areas that the community has raised is, I feel like I'm living with this chronic condition. It can be invisible at times. Nobody really knows about it. Like, how can we what can we do to spread that, that awareness? So one of, the, um, one of our research goals for, for, for the study um, is to be able to take all of this information and also publish it so that we're making that available to the broader medical um, community, other scientists, other clinicians, um, as well as to kind of expand on um, the natural history of the disease that people have questions about not just what will happen moving forward, but also what has happened previously and, and, and kind of how do you make sense of that? So I, I would say to anybody listening to also think about by you participating, you could also be helping other people in the future navigate the, the disease um, easier or to be more streamlined. Um, I think that that's one benefit of research that sometimes gets, gets overlooked a little bit. Yeah, I Thank think you for really- letting me chime in. No, I think that's really important because, um, because oftentimes, you know, you may participate in a study and it takes so long sometimes for the results of that to come, come about, but just by sharing your story and your experience, your ability to be able to make an impact for others who are coming behind you with this disease is tremendous. So that's a really, really important point Exactly. Appreciate for making that. So we are almost at the end of our hour. Kristen and Eliza, thank you so much for sharing about this amazing opportunity and all of the work that you and the team at Ultragenics do to advance research and therapies for the LCFAOD community. Mito Action is so incredibly grateful for all of you and our partnership and our ongoing work together to, to truly make a difference in the lives of patients who are, who are uh, living with rare disease. So we, we really appreciate you and are incredibly grateful for you and for all the work that you do. So we appreciate you taking your time. Please make sure- Feeling is beyond mutual, Kyra. Yeah, thank you We appreciate you. Thank you. Be sure to visit the Ultragenic Rare Disease Resources at their website at ultrarareadvocacy.com. And then again, the study site is picnichealth.com slash LCFAOD. Then I also want to make sure everyone's aware of our upcoming upcoming conference that MitoAction is hosting, along with Dr. Jerry Buckley and Inform and Ultragenics is one of our presenting sponsors. We have our International Metabolic Conference for Families Affected by Fatty Acid Oxidation Disorders. That's a mouthful. (laughs) That's coming up on July 23rd through the 25th. It is a virtual event, and it will also be a great opportunity for you to interact and engage again with the Ultragenics team and have some discussions about all of the great work that they're doing in our community. Um, So I encourage you to go to the MitoAction website and register. It will be a really, really great three days of wonderful information, of community, of connectivity and support. So I encourage you to join. Um, so as a reminder, today's presentation will be recorded and hosted on the Mito Action website. And for, for anyone that would like to listen again, come back and review, share with others. Um, and so I appreciate everyone for being here today. Thank you so much to our two speakers. Wish everyone a wonderful, wonderful weekend, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.